Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you? Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. He's got a new haircut, everybody. He looks really good. You're going to have to take my word for it. Yep. Short. High and tight. Yeah. High and tight <laughs> makes it stuff you should know. Chuck got his ears lowered. Have you ever heard that? Yeah. <laughs> I don't think anyone under 70 has ever said that, though. <laughs> yeah. Well, I just have. I took the cake. Yes. Speaking of, have you ever heard of the origin of the word cakewalk? The term cakewalk? I wrote a blog on it. You should check it out. Very surprising. I'll check it out. Very eye-opening. Are you going to tell us or just no, go to the blog? Go to the blog. All right. Um, so, Chuck, are you ready? Yes. Chuck. Yes. I want to commend you. Okay. Um, just a day ago, I woke up, checked my smartphone, <laughs> and uh, found an email. Uh-huh. And you said, how about these for stuff you should know? And uh, one of them was, what happens in the brain during an orgasm? You mean a week ago. I'm sorry. Last week, yeah. Yeah. Uh, What happens in the brain during an orgasm? And I thought, oh, man, I don't know about that one. Like, we've got some younger listeners. Mm -hmm. Like, are we qualified to talk about this stuff? We're not. I I started sweating. (laughs) Um, It was just, it was a wreck. It was a terrible way to wake up. Um, And I emailed you and was like, are you sure? And you said something that I thought was, this is why I'm commending you. You're like, look, man, we've done a lot of stuff on like really violent things, which just off the top of my head, shrunken heads, our step-by-step guide to shrinking heads. Or, or Jack the Ripper. Cannibalism, <laughs> Jack the Ripper. Yeah. Um, and we have. We've done a lot of stuff uh, about violent stuff. And you're like, and I don't want to just be able to talk about violent stuff, but not be able to talk about sexuality like it's bad or worse than violence. Yeah. I don't want to play ball with that scene. And that is very, especially in America. It's a scene. We just celebrated Thanksgiving. Uh We're a very puritanical country still. And that's absolutely true. Like, violence is celebrated and okay. Sexuality is hidden and it's not okay. Right. Uh, And, yeah, I don't subscribe to that either. So I wanted to commend you for having that level of foresight, insight, every kind of sight. Hey, thanks. And for um, suggesting we do this. Thanks. Which Having said that, <laughs> if you're a parent, if you're a younger listener, maybe you should ask your parents. We're going to be very mature about this. But yeah, it's, it's not going to be funny. But if, if you uh, if you don't think you want your kid listening to uh, anything about uh, orgasms, then uh, switch it off. Hey, man, you're the parent. Yeah. We're not. It's up to you to decide when you want your kid. Personally, I went to sex ed when I was either the fifth or sixth grade. Mm-hmm. So I learned about this stuff when I was... Like from a teacher. Mine was like seventh or eighth. Really, I was younger. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you're you're very experienced. I remember one very funny thing that happened. I can't say it. I wish I could. Oh yeah. Yeah, one kid in my class. Uh, I remember his name even. It was he asked a very funny question that he wasn't meaning to be funny. And but now that I'm older, looking back, <laughs> yeah. he was asking a legit question, and it was it was funny. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, that was a great story. It's quite dude. a tease. My, my <laughs> imagination is running wild right now. All right, let's get to this, Chuck. Yeah. Let's. This is a really. This is a bang up way to start a podcast. Like what happens in the brain during an orgasm? Yeah. Defining orgasm from the Oxford English Dictionary. It's dry. It's stayed. It's like clinical. It's perfect. It was perfect. Yeah. So let's do that. 
the first one there, a sudden movement, spasm, contraction, or convulsion, a surge of sexual excitement. Yeah, that that's pretty much on the on the head there. Right. Uh, Merriam-Webster, explosive discharge of neuromuscular tension at the height of sexual arousal, uh, usually accompanied by the ejaculation of semen in the male and by vaginal contractions in the female. Right. And then famous smut peddler Dr. Alfred Kinsey. <laughs> I'm sorry. Sex what, researcher, researcher Alfred Kinsey. What was the name of the movie that Ray Fiennes played him in? Was it just Kinsey? It was Kinsey and it was uh, Liam Neeson. Oh. Yeah. Uh, Ray Fiennes, Liam Neeson. Yeah. Come on. Um, he called an orgasm. It can be likened to a, the crescendo or climax and sudden stillness achieved by an orchestra of human emotions. Also, uh, it could be compared to an explosion of tensions or to sneezing which Shana Freeman, who wrote this article, took issue with. That's because it's not true. That's all myth. Like, if you sneeze five times, it's like an orgasm, or you'll have an orgasm. I don't think that's at all what he was saying. Well, no, but that is a, an, that a myth That sense now. of tension and then re- immediate relief that washes over your body following like yeah. a heavy sneeze. I think that's what he was saying. Yeah, but there is an urban myth that if you sneeze like five or seven times in a row... I don't think Kinsey dealt in urban myths. No. He was a scientist. I'm saying since then. <laughs> so the the point of all this is that the orgasm, while it it, it is this um, sensation that washes over your body, it's an explosion of tensions. It's like sneezing. Uh, it's accompanied by ejaculation in men. Um, there's all these physiological experiences going on, but all of it is centered in the brain. The point is the orgasm takes place in the brain, and thanks to the Wonder Machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we now know pretty much what's going on in the brain. We don't, uh, we don't fully understand orgasms, but we have a much clearer picture than we did even ten years ago, twenty years ago. Did you ever hear the Billy Connolly, you know, the comedian? Yeah. His, uh, he had one bit where he talked about um, when he learned first learned of an orgasm when he was like, you know, twelve years old. Mm-hmm. Like some older friend of his or his brother or cousin taught him like how to achieve it and what it was. And mm-hmm. he's like, you know, I did it, and it was the best thing ever. And he said, and then he came back to me the next day and was like, you only get 1,000 of those. <laughs> and, and he was like, the next week I had used them all up. <laughs> it was funny. Well. I don't know if it was 1,000. Then I don't even know if this is going to make it on the air. We'll find out. So let's start clean. So, um, okay, so we have a, let, let's talk about where all this starts. Takes place, orgasms begin in the genitalia, and they end in the brain. Yeah. Pretty much. That's it. Or they begin in the genitalia, go to the brain, and then come back to the genitalia, maybe. Or they begin in the brain, and then go to the genitalia, and then back to the brain. We're going to get to the bottom of this, but essentially there's a lot of nerves involved in this, and there's, um, you know, you're not going to be surprised to find that the genitalia, both male and female, are extremely sensitive, nerve-wise. Sure. Apparently, the clitoris um, is has about 8,000 nerve endings just in itself. Uh, comparatively speaking, the penis, a circumcised penis as I understand it, uh-huh. has about 4,000 nerve endings in the whole thing, the glands. Oh, really? Yes, but, and I didn't see this substantiated anywhere, but an uncircumcised penis supposedly has like 25,000 nerve endings in it. Oh, that's all propaganda. Yeah. Was that brought to you by the Circumcision Society yeah, or actually, the yes. Anti-Circumcision Society? It, yeah. it was on one of those sites. And also that um, reminds me, go listen to the Circumcision Podcast. That was a good one. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Did you, you just want to remind yourself that we can cover these things without laughing? 
No, I just remembered that we did circumcision and that was good. I thought you were just like, I gotta, I gotta do this. I gotta be able to say <laughs> the word penis without laughing. Penis glands. <laughs> all right. Uh, so what happens is you got all these nerve endings, um, during intercourse and at climax, there will be, um, messages sent through these large nerves that run up your spinal cord, except for the vagus nerve, which will, is very important that we mention that. It's very. Bypasses the spinal cord, uh, and to the brain. And tells the brain, "Hey, this is great. This feels awesome. You want to, you want to do this again, right?" And there's uh, different bundles are, I guess, stimulated in different areas, right? Yeah. So you've got like the hypogastric nerve, mm-hmm. um, which is located in the uterus and cervix in women, and in the prostate in men. Yes. So if you tickle these areas, you can conceivably achieve orgasm through the hypogastric nerve. There's the pelvic nerve. Uh, transmits from the vagina and cervix in women, obviously. Right. And from the rectum of both sexes. Yeah. There's some overlap here. Uh, go ahead and say that next one. Uh, the uh, pudundal nerve? Yeah. That's pudendal or pudundal. I'm not sure which. Or pudundal. But either way, it's P-U-D-E-N-D-A-L. Right. That's the clitoris in women and the scrotum and penis in men. So that's like kind of the, that's the um, well- established, long-understood bundle of nerves. Is it? Yeah. Because the, the whole the whole concept that a woman can even have an orgasm is pretty recent. Sure. It's pretty new, like as middle of the goes. last century. Yeah, as far as science goes. Yeah. You go to Europe and ask some lady 100 years ago, 200 years ago, she's going to be like, what, are you stupid? Yes. Yeah. Watch this. They're like, oh, that's what that's called? Right. <laughs> we thought you just had the uh, humors. Right. The humors. <laughs> Uh, and then you've got the vagus nerve, which we uh, said bypasses the spinal cord. It transmits from the cervix, uterus, and vagina. And 80 to 90% of the nerve fibers are sensory in the vagus nerve. So the vagus nerve is a money nerve, um, and it controls more than just orgasms. Apparently, if you have vagus nerve damage, you choke when you try to swallow liquids. Yeah, and- we talked about that in something. We've said vagus before, and it had to do with choking. Was. I'll bet you it was um, either... Uh, competitive eating or sword swallowing? Yep, sword swallowing. Was it sword swallowing? Yep. Okay, so the vagus nerve is involved in swallowing as well as in um, uh, orgasm. And I could only find, uh, obviously then if it's involved in swallowing, it's in men and women. But I could only find reference to the vagus nerve and orgasms uh, in relation to female orgasms. Yeah, me too. But we'll get to that later. And the vagus nerve, though, also, like you said, that's a pretty important nerve and it's very only recently discovered as far as orgasms go but the the big key to it is that it bypasses the spinal cord and goes straight to the brain which is really really good news for a certain subset of the human population chuck aka paraplegics people who have suffered catastrophic spinal injuries even people whose spines have been interrupted like their spines the spinal cords are no longer connected top and bottom. They're totally paralyzed. Yeah. They can still um, come to climax. Which is new because that was, uh, I mean, forever they said, you know, those days are over for you pretty much. Right. But thank you, uh, Dr. Barry uh, Kamizaruk. St. Kamizaruk. Who, we should just call this guy Dr. O because he is the, as far as I can tell, the preeminent orgasm scientist. He and Whipple are. He and uh, Dr. Whipple? Yeah. Beverly Saint, Whipple? St. Beverly. 
<laughs> that's that's what the paraplegic people call her. Of course they do. Uh, they are at Rutgers at Rutgers, go Scarlet Knights, and they did some uh, tests on women in 2004 who had severed spinal cords, and they found that they could feel stimulation in their cervix, they could reach orgasm, and they did the MRI and said, hey, it looks like this thing is bypassing They're not the just spinal messing cord. with us. Yeah. They're saying, this is real? Because the, the MRI machine lit up. Like it's supposed to. Right. And like you said, they, they showed that the areas of the brain that respond to the vagus nerve were lighting up especially. Yeah. And they're like, oh, it's the vagus nerve. Which is, I mean, we're not kidding around. That is great news because that's one of the most upsetting parts, I would imagine, of spinal injury is to say goodbye to that part of your life. Yeah. You know, to lose your sexuality like that. One of my um, good friends dated a girl who was paralyzed from the waist down. Really? And she was able to um, have an orgasm. Thank you, vagus nerve. Yeah. The vagus nerve is basically proof that women are God's favorites. Oh, yeah? <laughs> no, actually, we'll see that's quite the opposite. That's right. I mean, the vagus nerve is it's, it's pretty great for women. But overall, dumb, lumbering men have it way better. Yeah. As we'll see. Okay. So let's talk about the brain. Let's talk about the pleasure center, a.k.a. reward circuit. Yeah. This is a pretty new, like the 1950s is when they first kind of discovered this. And it seems like we talked about this, too. They did experiments on rats. They basically hooked them up Mm -hmm. in the Skinner box and said, hey, if you go push this button, Mm -hmm. you're going to get rewarded. In, in a very pleasurable way in your brain. It was like cocaine or something, wasn't it? I think so. And they um, they found out that the rats really loved it to the tune of about 700 button pushes an hour. Oh, yeah. And yeah. they uh, didn't eat anymore, didn't want water anymore. They would just lay there. They would just lay there and push this button. And it wasn't cocaine. They had electrodes implanted in the brain's reward yeah, center, yeah. so it was going and just stimulating it every well, time. Well, no, but it, I think it had to do with a study on drugs because the reward center, like sexual arousal mm-hmm. and the high from drugs is what is a lot of it's going on there. Well, not only that, eating, laughing, hanging out with yeah, other people. Sure. Basically, anything that ensures our survival as a species or as an individual um, the reward center has something to do with it. And the whole point of the reward center is we get this release of dopamine, this mm-hmm. pleasurable, um, this pleasurable chemical, um, that teaches us, wow, this feels really good. I want to do that again. So I will survive. These rats died of exhaustion though. Yeah. Sadly. That's so crazy. But that's where they discovered it in the fifties. And, um, if we're going to talk about the pleasure center, we should mention a few specific areas like the amygdala. Right. Regulates your emotions. And we talk about the brain a lot. So this is sort of rehashed. This is kind of like up there with fight or flight. Like we talk about the reward circuit quite a bit. We do. Yeah. Because we like it. Well, it's a great circuit. I wish I had that button. I'd be pushing it 700 times an hour. I'd have to come (laughs) along and be like, you need to stop, dude. Uh, the, The nucleus accumbens, which I don't think we've ever mentioned on the show. I think we have. We have. And that controls the release of dopamine. It's part of the limbic system. And this plays a really big role in sexual arousal and, like, the high you feel from from certain drugs. Gotcha. Uh, The VTA, or the ventral tegmental area, Mm -hmm. actually releases the dopamine. It takes its orders from the nucleus acumens. Acumens. The cerebellum controls your muscle function. Muscles are very important uh, in an orgasm. And the pituitary gland. Here's a, this is a big one because it's not just dopamine, this pleasure that you sense. Like it, you, 
uh, you, you just you know it's not just pleasure. There's other stuff yeah. going on. Like there's tristesse, mm-hmm. crying after sex. Like that's not just pleasure. That's you're overwhelmed with emotion sometimes, and that is thanks to our friend the pituitary gland, which releases beta endorphins that decrease pain, oxytocin, which increase feelings of trust, vasopressin, which increases bonding, um, and a lot of these same hormones and uh, chemicals are released. Um, when uh, you give birth, when a woman gives birth as well, which apparently forms bonds between mother and child. And also um, these things are released, I think, like oxytocin is a lactation chemical as well. Yeah. So both mother and child during breastfeeding um, bond. Yeah. Have, like, basically are you overwhelmed with the sense of, like, I really like you. And I get this sense you like me too. So let's hang out. <laughs> yeah, oxytocin is called the hormone of love and it actually means quick birth in Greek, and not only is it released during childbirth, but it sort of facilitates childbirth. Gotcha. And um, nipple stimulation, it is released, and that's what makes you lactate, Yeah, which is pretty cool. And calmness, it, it reduces your anxiety, makes you calm. So oxytocin, up with oxytocin. Yeah, and vasopressin, too, has uh, similar effects as well. So you've got all these chemicals flooding your body. Uh-huh. Uh, you've got your reward circuit going. In all the right ways. Yeah. And um, this is the orgasm, basically, especially the female orgasm. We should say, like, the male orgasm includes ejaculation, and it's been long understood <laughs> what's going on there, right? But like, It's like, pretty much an A to B relationship. <laughs> yeah. But like I said, like, it was pretty recent, like the middle of last century, that people, that science came to really say, like, okay, all right, so this is real. Women aren't just trying to, like, get on board here. Like, they, they really are experiencing something. Yeah. And then in the late 90s and um, mid-2000s, a group of Dutch researchers said, we're going to take this MRI. We're going to stick people in this MRI. We're going to bring them to orgasm, and then we're going to watch what goes on in their brains. Yeah, well, first they used the PET scan. Okay, you're right. I'm sorry. And actually... Since you mentioned men, you told me in another email, said this article is sexist because it only talks about women almost. And I looked that up. Apparently, it's because the men's orgasm is so short, it's hard to study it. Oh, okay. So it's like, boom, it's over. Whereas a a woman can have a prolonged orgasm, much easier to study that. Right. All right. Um, So PET scan? So the PET scan. But think about this. This is like the swing in a study. Oh, yeah. It's like King Casey. <laughs> yeah. You know? Uh-huh. Um, this is, uh, th- th- these, these test subjects were brought to orgasm. The pet, they were, their brains were watched with PET scans, later on MRIs. And what the Dutch researchers found was that there really aren't that many differences in the brains between men and women as far as the pleasure circuit goes. Yeah. They saw all the stuff they expected to see. Um, apparently the, the, the brain, if you take a snapshot of maybe the peak of it during orgasm, during mm-hmm. peak orgasm, and you compared it to a snapshot of the uh, peak of a heroin dose, uh, it looks 95% the same, one of the Dutch researchers said. Yeah. But there are differences between men's orgasms and women's orgasms as far as brain regions are concerned, and it's not really surprising what they found when you hear it. It's kind of intuitive, you know? Well, the other thing that they found was the same, though, was that the orbital... Orbitofrontal cortex oh, shut yeah. down yeah. for both, mm-hmm. and that is the where you, you the seat of reason and behavioral control in your brain 
So it's no surprise that that thing shuts down for both of us. You just completely lose control. That's right. You're enthralled by your orgasm. So the differences that you mentioned, uh, when a woman has sex, the, uh, <laughs> I had this so right earlier, periacaductal gray, P-A-G, is activated. And uh, it says in here it controls fight or flight. I got more that it provokes your defense responses, mm-hmm. and it's not necessarily controlling fight or flight, you know? Is that right? Is it activating it or stimulating it? It just said it, what I saw is that it provokes your defense responses. Huh. Which is interesting. Okay. Well, I mean, you can say defense responses, fight or flight. Yeah, that's true. It's part of it, at least. Okay. Uh, the woman's brain showed decreased activity in the medulla and hippocampus. This one made sense to me. Deals with fear and anxiety. So fear and anxiety are out the door all of a sudden. Yeah, which makes sense because for a, a woman to have and enjoy sex, yeah. it takes, um, uh, just physically speaking, it takes far more trust than it does for a man. Yeah, and emotionally. Right. You need to be relaxed. Exactly. In general. Uh, and then here was one that I thought was kind of interesting. Um, the uh, part of the cortex associated with pain, the insular cortex, uh-huh. which um, is used to judge like the um, the ferocity basically of pain, like just how bad pain is, yeah. is activated. So it's basically scanning, mm-hmm. looking looking out for pain or judging the experience based on partially through the lens of pain. I think everyone's been there, whether it's like tickling or. Anything where you're like, oh, I hate that, I hate that, but I love that, I love that. Gotcha. Very fine line, sometimes. That is a very egalitarian interpretation, Chuckers. <laughs> Thank you. Um, faking an orgasm, not yeah, surprisingly. Of was... course it doesn't use the same part of the brain. <laughs> yeah. There's really bears almost no resemblance whatsoever. I didn't even think that should have been included. I didn't either. But I Can't was mad at Shana Freeman for being sexist at the time when I read that. So sure. Now that I look back on it, I still don't think it should have been included. That's right. Um, so Chuck, we've been giving all of the, uh, kudos and attention to people who have orgasms, no problem, right? Mm-hmm. There are people out there who, um, are, who, who can't have orgasms. Anorgasmic? They, yes. They, mm-hmm. they have anorgasmia, which is an inability to achieve an orgasm. One of the big culprits are SSRIs, serotonin, uh, re- something reuptake inhibitor. What was the other S? I can't ever remember. Selective. Yes, yeah, selective, selective serotonin. serotonin reuptake inhibitor, which keeps serotonin in your synapses longer so you can not be depressed. The problem is it decreases the production, the natural production of dopamine in yeah. your brain. And dopamine, obviously, is how we learn to enjoy and go do Something like achieving an orgasm again. Yeah. So, f- fortunately, once people wean themselves off of SSRIs or start taking other drugs that increase dopamine production, usually that anorgasmia uh, goes away. Usually. Not all the time. No. Sadly, a very small percentage. I didn't get a number, but I did see that it was uncommon, thankfully. Uh, post-SSRI sexual dysfunction means after you have weaned yourself off and you're producing dopamine regularly, you're still not able to achieve an orgasm. Right, and they have no idea why. No. Because they're like, your dopamine's working? Like, what? what's your problem? And this is thanks to Dr. O again, right? I believe so. It's all over this stuff. Uh, he, um... That's one of the main reasons he's studying the orgasm, by the way, is not just to, like, be like, oh, cool, look at the brain. It's to help people that are anorgasmic 
or who suffer from persistent sexual arousal syndrome, which sounds horrible. Yeah, that means you're always sexually aroused, but you can't achieve orgasm, right? Right. And like you're genuinely always sexually aroused. Um, Dr. O uh, looked at women who have PSAS um, and put them in an MRI and looked at their brains. And their brains are showing like, yeah, I'm turned on right now. I'm turned on right now for no good reason. Can't do anything about it, mm-hmm. but I'm turned on right now. And then even if I try to have an orgasm, I can't. So it's but, like a curse. But the science supported it yeah, on, on right. the MRI, right? Right, yeah. So, I mean, these these people were physically, sexually aroused, and they couldn't do anything about it. He figured out that um, they can use, um, like, uh, meditation uh-huh. techniques apparently works. Um Basically, calming techniques apparently has an has a, an impact on decreasing the sexual arousal. I think he's still trying to figure out the anorgasmia part. Josh, yes. did you know that some people can orgasm from being touched in other parts of their body other than the genitalia? I did know that. Uh, for instance, the nipples, uh, that happens sometimes. Uh, they think that these sensations are transmitted to the same areas of the brain as the ones that come from your genitals, and so... It's just the brain saying, all right, I'll give you a little bonus there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's it's lighting up the right part of the brain, so right. here's an orgasm. Um, apparently also knees, nose. People, um, there are apparently women out there who um, can have orgasms just from imagery alone. No touching. No wow. touching. Um, and, again, these people are in MRIs. The the brain is lighting up, and they're saying, yep, science supports this. This woman is actually having an orgasm from a no-touch encounter, which is crazy. The phantom limb thing is what really gets me. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. I mean, apparently some people can uh, – do they ex- do they feel the orgasm in their phantom limb? Yes. Is that what – It's not. it doesn't generate there. So you know how you have – when you experience an orgasm, Chuck – you know how it's concentrated in your genitalia? I do know. Imagine if that sensation were in your foot. Like, that's what felt good. Just as easily could, right? Sure. Now imagine that your foot had been amputated right. years before. Yeah. But you're still feeling your orgasm in your phantom foot. That's what they're talking about. That's nutty. Well, they think what happened is um, there's a basically a, a map of your brain. The way we interpret it is as a map it's called the cortical homunculus. And the cortical homunculus is like, okay, this part of the body corresponds to this part of the brain. Like yeah. the nerves here correspond here. And apparently, if you suffer an amputation, your brain is like, well, I need to rewire myself. I need to remap a little bit. Right. So um, I'm going to assign... The sensation in the foot that's not there any longer to the genitalia. So the brain can become confused by the genitalia being stimulated. That experience can be felt in the amputated foot, for example. That's what scientists think right now. Uh, you can also hey. say that they have no idea what's going on, that's but true. people are reporting having orgasms and phantom limbs. I think that's my new band name, too. Yeah. Cortical homunculus. Oh, that's a good one. I've got some breaking news, Josh. Oh, wow. This is a surprise for you, my friend. Okay. Dr. O is at it again. Oh, yeah? And this was just uh, released on the old AP wire last week. Wow. November 18th. They kicked it up a notch and had ladies sit in the fMRI machine, Mm -hmm. which is even kicked up a notch from the regular MRI. (laughs) And they now have the first movie of the female brain. 
as it approaches, experiences, and recovers from an orgasm. Wow. So they put this, a couple of ladies actually, and one of them talked about it. She did a little, uh, I think she blocked about it. She said that one of the problems in doing this, obviously, is you have to not move very much at all because mm-hmm. it'll disrupt the data. Yeah. So they uh, fitted her with a breathable plastic mesh helmet that was screwed into the bed That's to keep sexy. her still. Yeah. And um, Fidelio. He's <laughs> got her eyes wide shut for some reason. And um, they told her to practice being still while you know bringing herself to climax. Okay. So she uh, duct taped a uh, kitty bell from her cat's, uh, what do you call it? The uh, collar. Collar onto her forehead and for two weeks pra- <laughs> practiced uh, bringing herself to climax without ringing that bell. And she said, you know, I got good, good enough at it to successfully do this in the experiment. And uh, it was successful. So you can go on the Internet now and look this up um, and watch this video. The animation plays... Um, you see the activity building up in the genitalia area of the sensory cortex, like it should. Then um, activity is spreading to the limbic system. Then it spreads to the limbic system, which is involved in emotion and long-term memory. Then as the orgasm arrives, activity shoots up in two parts of the brain, uh, the cerebellum and the frontal cortex that control this, the, the muscular tension. So all of a sudden the muscles like contract really heavily, mm-hmm. so that shoots up. During the orgasm, um, it reaches a peak in the hypothalamus, and that's when it releases the oxytocin and all that good stuff and causes the uterus to contract. And, I'm sorry, the nucleus accumbens, mm-hmm. is uh, that's also firing off um, during the peak. Yeah, because so, it's controlling the release of dopamine. Yeah, and then afterward, everything like you see it just goes, goes from all <laughs> colorful back to the cold, dead blackness right. <laughs> of your and brain. And then the... Uh, <laughs> The Doritos Center starts becoming active. <laughs> so, Chuck, there's a there's a very big question that we haven't really answered. We understand why men have orgasms. Why do women have orgasms? Uh, evolutionarily. But why? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. If it's an evolutionary adaptation, like it is for men, then why is it so hard for some women to have orgasm. You you know, 10% of women will go through their entire lifetimes without ever experiencing or, an orgasm. How many? 10%. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. So if it's evolutionary, that just that completely pulls the rug out of that whole idea because then it should be really easy for women and men, right? Yeah. Okay. So one of the ideas that's long been bandied about is the byproduct theory. Like, you know why men have nipples? Because women have nipples and right. we're all humans. So at some point during gestation or whatever, we still keep ours, even though we don't need them. Yeah. Men don't need nipples, but we're humans, and women need n- nipples. So Speak it for yourself. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. I don't use mine anymore. Okay. Um, they think that possibly the female orgasm is the same thing. Men and women are both humans. Men need to have orgasms, so women do as byproduct. In this really weird study that came out last year of twins... Um, they studied same-sex twins and opposite-sex twins. And same-sex twins had similar orgasm patterns, right? Okay. Opposite-sex twins, who, if it is just a byproduct, um, should have the same or similar orgasm patterns. It didn't hold up. Huh. So where does that leave us? We have no idea still. Confused? They think that it, it could possibly be an evolutionary remnant, like it was uh, 
strategic to our survival at some point in the distant past, and it's just a relic that kind of hangs around, which is kind of a depressing thought because then that means we're watching it as it's endangered and it's growing extinct, and that's sad. And I think that it needs to be snatched back from the grips of natural selection. Well, some things maybe just shouldn't be studied. Maybe you should just... uh I don't know. I'm sure there's women out there saying, just put those studies away. Yeah. Let's just look at it as a big, as a big bonus. Right. And that's when, thanks, big guy. That's when Dr. O flicks the switch and the disco ball comes down <laughs> from the ceiling. So if you want to know more about orgasms and see some pretty cool stock images of lit brains and things like that, you can type in what happens in the brain during an orgasm. You probably just type in orgasm in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com, and it'll bring up some interesting, cool stuff. Sure. Um, And uh, I said search bar, I believe, so that means it's time for listener mail. Josh, before we move on, we have to uh, announce, I believe, one final time about our contest. This is the last time, because the contest ends December 31st, I believe, right? You have to enter to win, as they say. Yeah, and you have to enter only through Facebook. Yes, you have to like the HowStuffWorks.com Facebook page, not the Stuff You Should Know page. We cannot say this enough, yet still people write in on our Stuff You Should Know wall and say, where do you enter? Yeah. HowStuffWorks.com, like it. You have to enter a few small details, nothing too uh, uh, obtrusive, right? Right. Nothing too intrusive. What did I say? Obtrusive. (laughs) Uh, You have through the end of the year, through uh, December 31st to enter. We're going to announce the winner the first week of the year. What a great way to start your year off. Exactly. Like knowing that you're coming to meet a couple of schmucks. <laughs> Grand prize is you get to fly to Atlanta up to $500 airfare covered. Uh, stay in a hotel yeah. covered. Yeah. Get an Amex gift card. Hundred bucks. Dentals, hundred bucks. Yeah. For like um, nail clippers because you can't fly with those. <laughs> That's truck. right. And uh, if you refer someone, you can tweet it out or say this is my Facebook status as I just entered this. If you refer someone and they win... After they enter, then you win a Kindle Fire. Right, and you don't have to keep track of that. We have like um, people who, who track those metrics. There's, so. an, there's an algorithm. Yeah. So it's 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 a pretty cool contest, pretty straightforward. But we um, get to go to lunch. I don't think we said that. You come to the office, you get a tour. Yeah. We go to we take you to lunch. We take you to lunch. Yeah, with Jerry. Jerry's coming. We're not gonna make you spend that Amex gift card on it. That's for you. Although if they want to buy me nail clippers, I'm not gonna stop them. And uh, sorry to those of you in other countries. I know it's a rub that you have to be in the United States here, but we can't win your lotteries or your contest in New Zealand, so you can't win ours. It's just the way contests work. Yes, and uh, just go to the, the How Stuff Works Facebook page, and I'm sure there'll be some sort of um, something up that says, hey, you should enter this contest. Agreed. Uh, okay, so I think we should get on with it. That's right, Josh. This is about gene patenting, I believe. And it's from Jim in New Jersey. Okay. Garden State. I uh, loved your patent podcast, guys. It dovetailed, love that word, <laughs> very nicely with the tech stuff patent podcast. Oh, I'm in, really? Yeah, that's what he says. Uh, I'm of the opinion that if you construct a new gene, then you can patent it. However, if you discover a gene already existing in nature, then I'm not sure that you should be able to patent it. Yeah. This is just Jim's opinion. I like his opinion. Uh, maybe you can patent the process of identifying the gene. Seems reasonable. Uh, maybe you can patent a specific use of the gene, such as for testing, which you clearly covered as being controversial. However, you shouldn't be able to, quote, own the gene. What if it has another use? It's a good point. Yeah. 
Uh, in the epilogue on the immortal life of Henrietta Lacks, mm-hmm. Rebecca Sklute describes a disturbing scenario. If you provide a sample of our DNA to a medical professional of your own DNA, uh, and it is found to have a mutation that's the foundation of the next wonder drug, you are entitled to nothing. Yeah. So yeah. legally, your sample is considered trash unless you've like prearranged some legal arrangement. That means you've abandoned it. That's like uh, Henrietta Lacks. Are you familiar with her? No, I've heard that, though. Have we talked about this? Yeah, she's she's kind of famous in this really weird way. She's like an African-American lady from the 40s or 50s. Mm-hmm. And um, somehow she donated like her blood or some tissue or something to science. And it became the basis of like all scientific research after that. So like all these breakthroughs in drugs and cancer blockers and like... All of this pharmaceutical research was based on this culture that's still around. Her line is still around. That's why she's immortal. And her fa- yes, and her family has gotten nothing from it. Interesting. And you know, companies have made hundreds of billions of dollars off of this lady's life. Wow. Like her biology, and they've gotten nothing. I haven't read the book, but I've heard nothing but good things about it. I'll have to check that out. So that's from Jim in New Jersey. Thanks, Thanks dude. Jim. Thanks, Henrietta Lacks. Okay. 1940s, you said? I think 40s or 50s. Let's look that up. Um, and I'm, it's probably even worse than that, I'm sure, than the way I described it. But I, I will probably end up reading it. Sometime. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'm done. I'm ready. Let's finish this thing. That was a good one. Well done. Well done to you two, buddy. We kept it very uh, mature. Tip of the cap to you too, sir. Doffing it as well. Uh, if you uh, want to contact me and Chuck... Um, you can tweet to us at SYSK Podcast. You can visit us on Facebook at facebook.com slash stuff you should know. And you can send us an email at stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit howstuffworks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes. Brought to you by the reinvented 2012 Camry. It's ready. Are you?